Hi, I'm Richard Osborne from UK Business Forums, and I'm here today talking to Shalom Lloyd from Naturally Tribal Skincare and EMQT. Hello, Shalom. Hi. Hi. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, please tell us a little bit about what Naturally Tribal Skincare is and also what EMQT is. So I run two amazing businesses. Naturally Tribal Skincare is a natural skincare company that uses Mother Nature's gift to make amazing products for people with skin conditions or people who want to maintain their skin naturally. And my other company, EMQT, Emerging Market Quality Trials, um, although patients of African descent make up a huge population of this world, less than 3% of black people include in clinical trials. So EMQT is focused on encouraging African patients to enter into clinical trials. Wow, they, they are quite two impressive businesses. I love them. They do. Um, but your journey to where you are now, um, done a bit of a tour around some parts of the world, didn't it? It certainly has. <laughs> so for, um, tell us a bit from the uh, sort of your young years, where sort of where you was born in Nigeria, and then sort of where you moved to before you came, uh, sort of moved into the UK, sort of that part of your sort of childhood. Sure, as I said, I was born in Nigeria, um, and my father, who was a great influence in my life, when he was a young man, he got a scholarship through the Commonwealth to study here in the UK, in London. So from then, this was way before I was born, so we kind of had that sort of the roots, both in Nigeria and the UK. Um, so I, did, I was born in Nigeria, studied in Nigeria, got four brothers who were shipped to the UK to study, and being the only daughter at the time, I stayed close to home. But I was very fortunate to, um, at the age of 15, actually, I'm a bit of a SWAT, I got into university in Nigeria to study industrial microbiology at 15. Wow. And at 16, I then got a scholarship to travel to the former Soviet Union, the Ukraine to be exact. So I spent six years of my life in the Ukraine, the former Soviet Union, from the age of 16. Wow. And as we're talking now, the... Um um what's hap um there is a issue so any people might be watching this in the future and we don't know what the future holds but right here right now um russia has moved into ukraine itself and um there's a lot of fighting going on so that must um resonate with you quite a bit it does. I spent a lot of my formative years in the Ukraine from the age of 16 to my early 20s. So, um, and Kharkov, which is where I studied my pharmacy degree, um, is the second largest city in the Ukraine and it's been hit hard. So yes, it's, it's been a heartbreaking to say the least. Yes. I can only imagine. Uh, but then you did move into the UK. So what did the UK hold for you at that point for those first, uh, sort of few years of the UK has always been second home, as I mentioned before. So graduating from university, um, moved to the UK, um, following my BS in MSc in pharmacy from the Ukrainian Academy of Pharmacy and just started to work really. It was finding those entry levels in the, I did pharmacy. So it was, um, my sciences are all that I knew at the time. So started in the pharmaceutical industry from entry level roles. And uh, yeah, industry, I spent the last 25 years of my life in actually. So from entry level roles to senior leadership roles, mostly in uh, drug development, clinical research across disease areas, oncology, cardiovascular, etc. 
um, an industry I absolutely love. I'm a scientist at heart, a pharmacist at heart, a researcher at heart. Um, just whilst on that point then, uh, because not a lot of women go into STEM subjects uh, and the, but this is something that obviously you are so passionate about and um, run two successful businesses off the back of the, how, um, why do you think STEM isn't as, um, so, you know, it just doesn't have the balance, equal balance between male and female in that subject? I think it depends on the STEM subject, really. So you think about engineering, for example, it's quite a dom male-dominated environment. But when you think about uh, the medical pharmaceutical sector, you do have quite a lot of women in this sector. The only difference is you don't have a lot of women in the senior leadership roles. Um, and that's that's changing by the day, by the minute. I was very fortunate to actually sort of um, climb that ladder, as it were. And I think the key thing is opening the doors and passing that baton to younger women to make people know it's possible. One of the things I'm passionate about is people think that you have to be have a science degree, for example, to get into the pharmaceutical industry. But you don't. I was in procurement for years and actually my MBA helped me more than anything else in the procurement department. You have a legal department, you have production, you have logistics and every creatives. So in a way I call it STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts and maths. So there is so much, it's opening the door and showing people that you don't have to have that science to get into STEM really. And to climb the ladder is just, working hard and believing in oneself. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, obviously, speaking from the outside, I'm, uh, I'm in technology as a business, but I'm male. <laughs> so try, hearing um, all, you know, your perspective, other perspectives for it, I don't, I don't experience some of those challenges that women might face in certain industries. But where you just mentioned working hard, I mean, I could, I could, bounce back and say that's something that is doesn't matter whether you are male or female it doesn't really matter people have to work hard you mentioned that it's changing uh, some people use like the glass ceiling analogy oh i hate that analogy i mean who put the glass ceiling there i think for me looking at my background and my history what i feel is that i've spent my life breaking so many barriers that i cease to see the glass ceiling i mean what glass ceiling and who put it there I think sometimes we put the glass ceiling on there ourselves. You know, if you, for me, it might sound corny, but if you believe it, you can achieve it. For me, there's, like we just mentioned, going to the former Soviet Union at the age of 16 to a country where I knew no one, didn't speak the language, stood out like a sore thumb being a black woman. I mean, that for me was the biggest thing that happened, changed for me as a young woman. So now when I get through obstacles, I think back to that think, thinking, if you've managed that, then you can conquer the world. That's good. And um, I see, uh, if I may take that as like a soundbite for um, many young, particularly young women to take on board. The, you then, your son was born and that led the uh, sort of the journey into natural tribal skincare. Uh, tell us a bit about that. 
Wow. So a lot of people that know me personally know I've got four brothers. I grew up a tomboy. So skincare, makeup, all those things weren't me at all. Um, so, but I, in 2014, after four cycles of IVF, I finally had my twins, Amara and Joshua. Joshua, unfortunately, was born with severe eczema and he was scratched to heat bled. And being a pharmacist, I totally value the benefits of chemicals in our lives. But after going through IVF, I'd been pumped with chemicals myself and I wanted to use something different for my little boy. So I decided to go natural, tapping back into my African heritage. You know, things have been used on us for ancestral beauty, as they call it, used on us for generations, shea butter as a base. I started mixing in my kitchen, complete fluke, stumbled across the Eureka formulation, looking at ingredients that had anti-inflammatory properties to reduce redness or the itching, etc. And three days later, Joshua's skin became what it should have been from birth. And that was the start of Natri Tribal Skincare. Wow. And the this involved sort of working back with Kingdom of Essen, if I, if I understood correctly, yeah. Yes. Um, it took me back to my heritage, back to my roots, which was quite interesting because the main ingredient I use in my products is shea butter. It's I'm obsessed with shea butter at the moment, Richard. And I think it was used on me as a child. I never really appreciated it but it's one of those amazing ingredients that's underestimated. And one of the things I wanted to do was get a sustainable source of this ingredient. So where would I go? Back to where it's from. Um, it's You have 16 million rural African women who rely on shea butter as a source of income. So yeah, went back to Nigeria to just find a source of shea butter. And the northern part of Nigeria, where Essan is, are known to produce high quality shares. So that's where I went to and came across this amazing kingdom. I fell in love with it. I looked the women in the eye and I promised them that I was somehow going to put them on the map. I didn't know how. And my business model took a turn, a different turn at that trip. I came back home, my poor husband, remortgaged our home, said to David, well, we need to do something here. And fast forward to today, we built a facility on 16 acres of land, uh, a factory that has an admin block, a warehouse and a production facility. And we're employing rural SN women to produce shea butter. So for me, it was, I didn't start a business to make impact. It was just about doing the right thing, what felt right. So today we bring our shea butter into the UK, manufacture, formulate, test and package here. So that source to jar journey where you can trace your ingredient back to source, where you see the impact that you're making, that is why Essan is a third home to me now. One of the, uh, one of the inspirations you've mentioned, um, I've seen online, we talk about starting a business and you know, pushing yourself forward is your father. The, uh, tell us a bit about your father. Oh, I get emotional thinking about my dad. It was just his um, anniversary. He passed away a couple of years ago. <clears throat> John Nardi, um, gosh, very unassuming man, very strong, uh, very, very stubborn, who really pushed us hard. I was his only daughter for a long time. So he was, I was his everything. I was his princess. But um, he, like I mentioned before, he got a scholarship. He was, uh, I think he was uh, uh, either a, uh, 
a cook, but a servant in um, up north. Um, and this Englishman who he served noticed something in my dad and helped him to get a Commonwealth scholarship. That's how my dad ended up in the UK, through a Commonwealth scholarship. And he instilled that sort of hard work in us. We were quite privileged growing up, but we weren't spoiled. And my father was, um, yeah, I can, he's always there with me. I always think of what would he say and how proud is he of me? So he was my inspiration, certainly in um, starting my other business, Emerging Market Quality Trials. My dad had a huge role in that, in the sense that he passed away from cancer. And I've worked in this area of drug development for 25 years. And I was convinced that if my father was enrolled in a clinical trial, for example, in Africa, he would probably still be with me today. And it made me realize that although black people make up 17% of the world population, like I said, less than 3% of them are involved in clinical trials. So I started a company that really looks at pharmaceutical companies to include Africa in their drug development process. And my dad was a huge, huge catalyst there for me. Sometimes you will look in the, uh, whether it be the media or messaging sent out that is used to inspire women or young women to um, in their careers or in their um, running their own businesses. Uh, and they often look to other women of inspiration, which is uh, absolutely see very much value in and you know, everybody look, everybody needs inspiration. But what would you say, perhaps from your own experience, the role of a father is as well um, to push their women for, you know, their young daughters forward? Wow. It, I was um, raised by a man who championed women. I didn't actually feel that sort of gender divide. Like I said, I've got four brothers. So I was raised in the midst of very, very strong men who raised me, who championed me, who pushed me forward, who always made me feel like I could do whatever they could do. So that was the environment I grew up in and the environment I still have today with my four brothers. So it's not, oh, she can't do it, she's a woman. Um, they see me as a force, hopefully. Um, and that, that environment has really sort of propelled me um, to be the kind of mother that I am today and pass that baton and I have sons I have daughters. So for me, it's really making sure that the men in my life, my husband, my brothers and everything they stand for, um, it, it inspires me because there's no conversation about, ooh, can a woman do this? It's, it's a given um, where, where I'm from, where I live, in my household, in my unit, in my family. So that baton I'll continue to carry it forward with my children as well. And I think what you mentioned before about inspiration, I want to stand there as somebody that anyone, whether you're male, female, can look at you and say, if she's done that, I can. But I don't feel special or different to anyone. I just see opportunities in everything I do. And if there is one, I'll take it. And your network is your net worth, as they say. It's not being afraid to ask. I always say to people around me, ask. The worst thing you can get is a no. And if it's a no, with a few weeks and ask again, you never know. <laughs> Might be in a bad mood that day or something. So I think, you know, people talk about allyship and all that. Um, it wasn't even a word that I kind of was familiar with before that I used often because I grew up in a household where I was empowered as a woman. That's, that's really powerful. That really is. 
Uh, one of the things that uh, organisations that you've mentioned uh, a few times that's sort of helped you internationally and referenced is the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And perhaps a uh, sensitive question to ask, but the Commonwealth um, has roots in colonialism. Um, it has some stigma attached to it related to that. Uh, but you um, you mention sort of, in fact, you're one of their champions uh, for export. Uh, for export, how do you? Two questions really. How do you feel about that and the Commonwealth? And um, how much did it help you? Or being part of the Commonwealth help at all? That's a great question. I mean, I believe in something called, I call it trade, not aid. Um, It's a hashtag I use now, hashtag trade, not aid, because I hate having Africa and aid in the same sentence. For me, it's all about trade. Uh, There are 54 countries in the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth has a special place in my heart because of my father, this young man who came from nothing, who got this scholarship and that knock-on effect is what got me to where I am today. And then in 2017, we were chosen as Commonwealth Export Champions as part of the third cohort, I think, which I was really excited about, probably because of that. I remember sending it to my dad and saying, look, look, it's come full circle type thing. Um, you know, when, when I think about the Commonwealth, I know the historical, the, the history there. And as you mentioned, but I choose to look forward. As a businesswoman, I look at the Commonwealth giving me access to 54 countries. I have products that I've formulated that I've made that I would like to export. And being part of the Commonwealth Enterprise and Investment Council um, uh, export champion opened my eyes to the possibilities of intra-Africa trade. Because I never really thought about it in that way. When I think about the kingdom of Essam, where I'm sourcing my ingredients from, it's really about empowering women doing the right thing. But I still have a finished product I need to sell to continue doing all this good stuff that I'm doing. And the Commonwealth opened my eyes to that. It also opened my eyes to the Department of International Trade, who have been a driving force in our success for our business as well. We're also export champions for DIT. So that has really propelled our business going forward. Okay, and that's really, that's really interesting. Uh, we ran um, some articles recently on UKBF about the importance of mentors. Um, personally, I say mentors and coaches, so people who um, can help entrepreneurs, especially in the early days of their business. And you had a mentor that helped you. Still do. To still do. That's, that's fantastic. So who is your mentor and what part have they played? I would say, first of all, my, my, my husband, my, my better half, he's a coach that I have because you can imagine I'm a nightmare to live with. So, and he's a psychotherapist, so that helps to kind of put me on the right track, <laughs> calm me down. Uh, my mentor is a gentleman, I'm not sure he will mind me mentioning his name, John Mohin. John has been from day one a driving force. Um, and another thank you to the Commonwealth, because when we became export champions, they gave us this list to say, here are some amazing people. Have a look. If you find somebody you like, you can contact them and ask them if they'll mentor you. John was John stood out for me and made contact with him. And he's like, yep, OK. And we hit it off straight away. It's very rare to find somebody who challenges you, who 
questions you, but who believes in you and is that safety net that's there to catch you just in case you fall. Um, and he's been that person. I remember one phrase that he said to me. He said, I see you. I can see your future. I can see you as the, um, I don't want to mention the company name, as this large beauty for Africa type thing. And that has stayed with me all the time. And whenever I doubt myself, I go back to his words and I contact him at stupid, <laughs> stupid hours for everything. It's about asking again. And when somebody believes in you and somebody puts the mirror up and says, this is what you're doing wrong. This is how you can improve it. Um, but I'm here if you need me. That has been a tremendous help to me, helping me navigate this world of business that is crazy. Coming out of the corporate world and just starting your entrepreneurial journey and somebody being there who's been through that journey to say to you, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. It's been great. You just mentioned that, you know, even asking some of the questions. Uh, um, I imagine sometimes the questions that a mentor or coach can ask might not be the questions, the nice questions you want to hear, but they're the ones that make you look at things critically if needed. They make you think um, and they make you question, yeah. which is very, very important. They make you think and question and every step of the way you think as you go further in business that you wouldn't need a mentor. But I find that the more things happen and the more doors open up, the more we export, etc. the more I need him and need his advice. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. The, um, not perhaps an obvious question to ask, but starting any business isn't like a smooth journey. It doesn't just go straight from A to B in a straight line. It goes all over the sort of place. Um, are there any particular points in time that stand out where things um, have been challenging or even times where you've sat and sort of questioned, you actually just said questions yourself um, that stand out? Yeah, I mean, lots, I would say a lot. Um, there's, um, apart from the imposter syndrome where you think, why, you know, why me? Why are people listening to me? Why are people buying this? Do you know what I mean? There's also, it's all around people for me, where everything you do in life is about relationships. And when you start a business, at least for me, anyone who's remotely interested or pays you a compliment, you want to get them involved. You're yes to everyone and yes to everything. And I had to, um, quickly learn that it's about back to Jim Collins good to great it's about having the right people on the right seat on the bus so the bus is going your direction where you want your company to go you can't take a conductor and put them on the driving seat for me it was like everybody come in sit where you like do what you like help me with this business I had to learn very very quickly and not be afraid to lose people that was a big, big lesson that I learned. I wanted to hold on to everyone and hold on to everything. You know, let's hold hands, sing Kumbaya, take this journey together. But that sort of shrewd business, rootlessness has to come out at some point if you really want the business to succeed. Is that, if I'm understanding correctly, sometimes where you have people around you you like, uh, but um, they, might be, they might be good friends, but might not be the best people to work with. That's right. Yeah. I have memories along those lines. <laughs> I'm sure it's a difficult time. It's it is a yeah. difficult time. And, you know, when, when you're feeling the growth pains and also during, um, you know, the dreaded secret COVID, you know, a lot happened. There's points where I felt I'm going to lose this business. Um, but 
is that resilience and tenacity. You just hang on um, and, and um, just go for it. That's entrepreneurship life, isn't it, really? It is. Not many people who go into business realising that at the start. It's a lonely journey. which It's a very, very lonely journey. Extremely lonely. So how do you overcome that then? I have the most amazing family. Yeah. Um, they're a bunch of crazy people and I involve them in most aspects of the business. And I try to have fun doing what I do. The two businesses I have provide solutions. They make impact. They have purpose, right? And I truly enjoy what I do. And I'm very annoying when people say that because I'm always smiling when I talk about it. Even if I'm having a really, really bad day, I don't know, I'd never go back to where I was before. I was successful in the corporate environment, but this is really, this is something I started with my own hands and involving my family started, naturally I was my, my son, you know, so involving him and involving my entire family in that makes it, um, makes it fun for me. And then working with people, I have the most amazing staff, working with people who buy into the business and are passionate about it. And you think, oh my God, they're even more passionate about it than I am type thing. You know, it's incredible to go to work every morning and be surrounded by people who love what we're doing and the impact that we're making. It, it helps. Naturally Tribal Skincare has absolutely like skyrocketed. Um, it's you, the business is everywhere um, in a very positive light. I say it's a, absolutely, it is a, it is a good thing. Um, and the, obviously you've, you know, you've been involved and the, the, with the Commonwealth, with DTI, but uh, you, um, you're a good marketeer as well, if I may say so. The, um, what sort of tools and marketing strategy have worked for you particularly well? The right people. <laughs> I mean, the right people. Well, one of the things from Naturally Tribal Skincare, we, we have amazing products. We have to, to be a profitable business. We have to sell products. And to sell products, you have to be out there as a founder, the face of the brand. And obviously you also have to have the products out there. So we take marketing very, very seriously and PR obviously. Um, social media is huge. We've seen in the past couple of years, the power of social media. So on the usual Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn is very, very important for B2B. And now you have TikTok and, you know, all other platforms. And for me, I love learning. You know, I've got our head of marketing is an amazing lady called Hannah White. Hannah's 24, I think. And yeah, she tells me what to do. She teaches me. I've got a social media coordinator, Ashley, who's 22. And Ashley, they tell me what to do. Like, how, how do I do this? And I'm not afraid to ask. I haven't got a clue. I'll ask my children. I think... It's very, very important to put our messaging out there. You know, we kind of sat down and we thought, what are we selling? We're selling a commodity. We're in a market that's really saturated. And so we had to take a step back and say, what are we doing? We had to communicate that we have built this company on three strong pillars. First is efficacy, natural products that work. Second is what we call planet hugging. Everything we do in this company hugs the planet. 
The third thing is empowerment and ethical sourcing. Like I said, 16 million rural women rely on share as a source of income. And I'll link back to Essan in terms of what our products are doing, empowering women, etc. Everything we do now, as in marketing and our tools, actually speak to these three pillars that we have. I'll tell you something that triggered me. I think it was, was it last year or the year before, um, where there was a report that said about £250 billion could be added to the UK economy if women were supported to start up and scale as much as men. That, that statistic stayed in my head and it was like, right, let's go. We're founded by women. We're made by women. We're led by women. Let's do this. So anything that I could learn that could actually put our products on business out there, I would. Yeah. I just, um, on the last point you just made about, you know, the amount that could be added to the UK economy, the, you've mentioned a, a couple of times where you've had some support, but what support do you feel is missing? Gosh, um, I think we could go to the easy ones, which is like access to finance, um, access to mentorship. Um, I strongly believe that it's women championing women and empowering women. We know the pain points we're going through. Nothing gives me more joy than seeing another woman who is coming up in the industry I'm working in that actually and, and support so she doesn't make the same mistakes I've made through my journey. But it's not an easy thing to receive. Um, I, recently, I had a young girl who's starting her own skincare company who's asked me questions and I was quite like, right, okay, so let me tell you what I've done. And I think the shock on her face, like, why? You know, why are you going to charge me for this type thing? Now, we also have to be open to receiving. I think we should, oh God, the beauty industry is worth 180 billion. There's room for all of us. And we, it's that mindset change. We have to lead by example as women and not just look outwards. Of course, look outwards. We have issues and, you know, being empowered, gender equality and all that. But we have to, when we get to certain levels or have certain successes, pass the baton and open the door. I think that's a winning formula. Yeah, that it, it should be across the board. Across the board. Yeah. So if um, you mentioned um, like this example, where sort of why are you, do you, um, and I'm asking completely blind, so I might be completely off the, <clears throat> off the wall here wrong. But do you, uh, is it that some women um, might be more sceptical because of the challenges that are, um, they may face going into business or um, the, I don't, I don't even know how to word it, if I'm honest, but sort of gender equality, uh, feel more... There's feel experience, more Richard, there's, there's baggage. So, for example, um, as a black woman, finance is even more difficult. And I know a lot of black women who are entrepreneurs who fight, are really scared to go for finance because you're used to hearing no so much that you just already anticipate not going to happen. Um, but I went for a loan. I went to pitch. I went out there. And I got, it's back to that glass ceiling thing again. Yeah. You know, it's about confidence. It's about we women make amazing entrepreneurs. Yeah. We do that every day. 
You know, people will say, I'm just a housewife. <laughs> you're a multitasker. You're an entrepreneur. You know, you're raising, you're feeding, you're nurturing, you're growing. Um, so sometimes it's our fears. I think it's fear, a lot of fear. And it's something that's been instilled in us, really. Having a business in Africa, in Nigeria, for example, it's a man's world. It's a man's world in Africa. So I've had to fight again, go against that grain. But, you know, it's eye on the prize. Because when a woman says to you she's paid her children's school fees because of the job you've given her, she's roofed her house. What other motivation do you need? That sort of leads on really um, sort of a one question thinking about is listening to what you've been talking about today and some of your story. I, the, you alluded to imposter syndrome earlier, so I'm probably going to make it worse, but it's a, a fantastic journey that you've been through. You do help young women, as you just mentioned. What would be your sort of top three tips if you were to pick three things for a young lady who's just starting out on her entrepreneurial career to consider? There's, there's three things I live by, and I always say this. This is the first is a quote by St. Francis of Assisi. Start by doing what is necessary and then do what is possible. Before you know it, you've conquered the impossible. As a 16-year-old girl in the former Soviet Union doing all this stuff, I don't think about, you know, I didn't have time to think. But when I turn back, retrace my, step, my steps, I think to myself, oh, my God, I did start by doing what was necessary and then did what was possible. And when I look back, I think, damn, I've conquered the impossible. So that, that's the first thing I would, I would say. The second is about opportunities. It's better to be prepared and not have one than to have an opportunity to not be prepared. I'm always prepared. I don't know what for half the time, but it's just be prepared. You know, and when you get there, for Christ's sake, pass the baton. Wedge the door open for others who are coming up. You know, um, my older brother, when I go to him for advice, you know, the first thing he normally says to me is get over yourself. You know, think it, say it, do it. Failure is an option. Failure are those steps you climb towards success. If you fail, get up and try again. I make it sound easy, but trust me, I, I felt the pain and other pain points. But what's the alternative? We don't start. I've, um, I've always used the analogy where um, failure isn't really the word, the correct word to use. If you, you have to, you've, same values here. You have to just make a start. You have to make a decision and go for it. And if that doesn't work, you try something else. It's, it's, you're learning what will work. You're not, you're not making mistakes. You're not ma failing. You're just um, going along a journey, trying different things, and you're finding out which ones work and which ones you learn I from. I agree. I think for me, it's because I use that word failure because it's a word that people use and afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Failure to me is an option. When I was trying to find a formulation for Joshua, oh my God, you know, you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail, but you keep going because you know what to take out, what to add in, what to take out, what to add in and try that again. And then Eureka. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You mentioned earlier the, um, during your promotional that the founder has to be out there. The, um, oh, I hate that bit. <laughs> Yep, yep. The, uh, but it's 
uh, at the end of the day, it's true. It is uh, it's something which uh, we, um, UK Business Forums, put together uh, an article around building your personal brand. Mm. And it sounds like that's the same sort of thing and journey that you've been going through that's helped grow your business, grow both businesses. Um, I'm going to ask you a question I already know the answer from based on how you just reacted. But ask anyway, so <clears throat> it's something which many are pretty much, you'd have to be a pretty special kind of person not to be off put by that or feel nervous or have imposter syndrome or you know, be worried when it comes to building your own personal brand because you are putting yourself as a person out there. So how uh, how did you approach that? And what sort of techniques, uh, well, in fact, for both of you, what techniques really worked? And then what other lessons did you learn that you probably recommend to somebody else don't try that? I always go back to my brother, like I said, get over yourself. Because you have to, I find that I was, I'm usually the one in my own way. And for a brand like mine, you have to be out there. You have to be the face of the brand. I felt so, is it what, unworthy? Because I don't wear makeup. Um, should I have a filter to hide my... In the end, I just thought, you know what, take me as I am or don't take me at all. And I had to, um, I do this thing called the curtain call. I, at least I call it the curtain call. It's when you walk into a place, I did it even before coming here, where, okay, <clears throat> get into the zone curtains open and you walk in and you do your thing and then at the end of it you take your bow and the curtains close. you go because <laughs> I still feel physically sick sometimes before I do stuff but you come up there and people think wow you know you're so confident you're so this and people say to me can you come and do this or do I think well why who, who wants to listen to me? All I want to do is just sell my products, just leave me out of it. But you can't if you're the face of the brand. And if you believe in your brand, I use my products every day. I use it on my family every day. So why shouldn't I sort of be out there talking about it, you know, using it, championing it, etc. It's hard because, yeah, half the time I don't like it very much. But um, and what I'm doing now, again, for entrepreneurs, the trick is, start to breed people to come after you. Because I've got these amazing young women who are working for me now. Ooh, they're going out there doing gigs now. Oh, they want to talk about this. How about you do it? So trying to kind of, under the guise of championing and empowerment, get yourself out of it, but also raise talent as well. So um, it's about nurturing people to also go out. But in the first instance, as the face of the brand, you have to be out there. We are so on the same page. <laughs> the um, um, listening, looking at Jacob in the corner, uh, just over there, and he's he's taken part. He, we uh, sponsored some awards last uh, last year. He went up and gave the award. He's doing some of our content, and we've got some other colleagues in the office who are sort of coming out um, to sort of be the face. It's, it's important. Isn't it great to pass the baton, though? And then sometimes I'm really bad. I just watch them squirm and thinking, oh, see, I went through that. <laughs> They've got to learn. They've got to learn. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose, really, what is the future uh, I was, not even for the businesses as such, but we can, you know, cover those. What's the future for you? Ooh, for me, um, gosh, I, I have so much more to give in terms of where I want the businesses to go. 
Um, first of all, I'm a mom. I've got five amazing kids who keep me on my toes. I want to make them proud every day. I've got the most amazing husband who challenges me every which way. Um, so for me is that little unit that I call my unit just to make sure it continues to be tight and safe because it's my safe haven. And in terms of business, um, for naturally tribal skincare, you know, with the whole COVID and Brexit, that really hit us really hard. In April 2021, my products got into Harrods Beauty. That was incredible, Richard, because what that did for me was confidence. It made me feel like you've got something here that people want. You've got a story here. You've got a great product. And no matter what came after that, my belief in my company just went boom. You know, we're launching new products coming March this year and stuff. So there's a lot in the pipeline. I have so much more to do in Naturally Tribal. With EMQT, oh my goodness, that's uh, craziness. La La October last year, we were in a place called Enugu. We screened 450 women in one day for cervical cancer wow. and breast cancer. Uncovered about 30 cervical lesions and 14 breast lumps. Doing things like that really energizes me. It's that showing that Africa is ready for drug development. Africa is ready for clinical research. I'm just starting out. When you talk about, oh, you run to successful businesses, I'm nowhere near the success I want. Nowhere near. We're still tiny. I want to conquer the world one step at a time. So the, with that thought in mind, when your time on this planet, in whichever shape it takes, comes to an end, what would you want written on your headstone? Oh, I know that. I've always known that. For like, here lays the crazy lady who changed the world one person at a time. Wow. Simple as that. That is impressive. Well, I can feel very confident to say that you mentioned earlier you just you want your children to be proud of you, proud of their mum. Without a doubt, I would say, I've never even met your children and I'd say they already are and absolutely will be. A fascinating story. And uh, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic story. Uh, subscribe, keep up to date, and we'll share some more stories with you.